What's happening, good people? This is Tony Greer of the Oil Ground Up podcast for Clear Commodities. My guest today is going to be an old friend of mine in the markets named Rob Meyer. He's vice president of sales and trading at LPS Capital. And Rob has seen it all, man. Rob has been in the market since the you know oil explosion during the Iraqi war to you know through this recent lockdown implosion to zero. He has seen you know trades from all sides of the market and has a really deep understanding um, of what's going on in the oil world. Let's dig into a conversation about the energy markets right now with Rob Meyer. What is happening, good people? This is Tony Greer with the Ground Up Podcast. I'm here with my guest today, Rob Meyer, Vice President, Sales and Trading at LPS Capital. They are an energy um, sales and trading desk. Rob, how are you doing today? Doing good. How are you doing, Tony? I'm great, man. Thanks for coming on our show to talk about the oil markets with me. Um, Rob is a guy that I rely on in my wheelhouse that sees a lot of flow, has a really deep understanding of the markets, always has really good insight as to how physical side of the market is operating that, that uh, really helps me understand what's going on. And so I'm really happy to start digging into um, Rob and picking his brain about the markets. So let me start with a couple of questions right bang on, Rob, and then we'll get going into a couple of different conversations about the oil market. Sound good? Sounds good. Start your engines, baby. Let's go with this. So let's start with the oil price, right? Last sale, we closed at 90 and a half today, up a percent against the flow of a serious de-risking in the stock market. Um, tell me what you think of the crude oil price. Are you bullish, bearish, neutral from here? It's fine to say you don't have a view, but tell me some of the things that, you're, that are going on that you think are relevant. And uh, I'm anxious to hear it. Well, I'm supportive of, of I'm, I'm definitely in the bull case, but I think flat prices made its move, which it had to make, and now you're seeing a lot of movements and spreads. Um, the heating oil curve really rallied hard last couple of weeks, and now it looks like it's the crude market um, turn. So crude spreads are really, in the last few sessions, have really acted very firm. Um, you got U.S. oil production back near uh, record highs, but at the same time, you have that OPEC plus production cuts, which more than offset the gains in the U.S. And also the production that in the U.S. is its its growth in condensate production and light sweet oil. Um, a lot of it is exported around four to five million barrels a day. And what you're seeing now in the market is a lightening of the crude slate. Say that again, Rob. I missed that. It, it, there's a lightening of the crude slate where we're okay. losing heavier, sour barrels with the production cuts from OPEC plus and we are gaining shale production, which is light and sweet. So, you know, you get a quote that's thrown around all the time that um, we haven't built a new refinery in the U S since the seventies. Right. Yeah. Well, that kind of misses the point because we've had added many secondary units and coking capacity, um, hydro treaters, hydro crackers, and these units rely on heavier, sour crude, to maximize production of products. I had an old boss of mine, Mike Kiley, years ago say that gasoline is a byproduct of distillate production, and now that's true more than ever. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and refineries, you know, here we can't increase the yields of product, and and that's the consequence of running these these high levels of lighter crude. Um, the APIs of the crude are getting higher and higher over the past couple of years, um, and so that's a problem. And so this whole run up it was product led, mainly diesel and jet fuel. Right. It's been interesting to see how there's been a clear baton passing of leadership in the oil markets. And as you know, it, you know, as you have seen, it always starts like in the spreads and then it goes to flat price and first it's gas, then it's diesel, then it's WTI. Um, just specifically in WTI for a second, um, I want to talk about the demand side because everybody's been focused on the supply side. We know that we're at five year, you know, kind of surfing the bottom of five year inventory ranges pretty much across products, um, give or take. What do you think of a recession risk, meaning a lower crude oil or gasoline price? Is that a realistic idea to you or are you face that? it's realistic, but I would say the elasticity of demand isn't, isn't that high in a sense that there will be constant demand for products no matter what we do. I mean, you're still going to drive to work. People are still going to fly on planes. Yeah, it could take a hit, but the market – Quite honestly, it needs for demand to pull back a little to, to to balance out how tight things have gotten. And the market is self-correcting, right? So refinery capacity in the U.S. has fallen a lot since COVID, around 5.5%. And it actually started to rebound back in June um, to 18.1 million barrels a day. And, and that will increase even more to about 18.3 million barrels a day with additions at um, ExxonMobil's Beaumont um, refinery. So basically, I believe the market is self-correcting. And yeah, there's definitely a recession for years. You know, you have the dollar screaming, you have interest rates going higher, um, energy prices going higher. It does remind me a little of 07, 08, but I I don't think that demand will be affected to take us down to, let's say, $40. I think that's so critical to hear from somebody in the industry that sees the demand, you know, and and understands that, you know, these recession predictions don't necessarily mean that there's going to be a collapse in gasoline demand. That's been my argument, and it makes me really, really comforted to hear you think the same way because I think we can back that up with evidence. That's not a pipe dream. You know, we can look back on past recessions and see that we ran them at full refinery capacity. Um, after you know a brief the brief dip of a you know a recession shock and then everything snaps back into line, so that's really interesting. Can we talk for a moment about um, the crack spreads? As yeah. we've seen recently, just backed off pretty steeply in the last couple of sessions. Tell me your thoughts on that. That's been sort of the refinery's margin, which has sort of set those stocks off on a tear. Um, just to explain to some of the listeners that may not understand that, and please add to that idea if you can. And uh, tell me about the situation right now. Well, cracks have enjoyed an incredible rally this year, especially diesel cracks, and it's very normal for it to pull back some. Um, we will be going into turnaround season in the fall here. Um, there's some big scheduled maintenance, so I don't expect them to fall too much further from here. Um, and also you have Russia is cutting off their um, diesel exports, and that's huge, you know, um, if the Saudi cuts continue, the chances of a spike in diesel cracks this winter have increased substantially. You know, and like I discussed, the lighter crude slate affects distillate production. It, 
there's less of a yield of, of diesel, jet fuel, etc. Um, and that's this is not it's not a sensible position, you know, when nat gas prices, energy prices are already on knife's edge, and it, particularly if it's a cold winter, things could get could run really hard. Really, what now? Run really hard. Let's say, what do we what do we think about something like that? Let's just sort of try to quantify that a little bit, right? Like, do you think well, that means a ten percent rally in price, a twenty five percent rally in price, a, well, a spike of fifty percent? Well, when things get squeezy, they, they they I don't really think of target wise. I just know if there's a squeeze on, it's going. Like you used to say, um, one of your favorite lines from you is, "You call it a bubble, I call it a double," right? So. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's just one of those things. I mean, Russian refiners exported like almost 2.8 million barrels of, of, of products, and that's fallen to around a million. Um, Russia is going to be a major player in energy markets, and to lose distillate diesel exports, that's a big, big deal. Man, everywhere, yeah, everywhere you look, there's refiner. There's uh, not capacity, I guess, but you know, supply coming off the market. I think that's really, really maybe that's why the spreads keep you know changing, passing the baton off, and one rallies and the other rallies, and one tightens and the other tightens. Really interesting dynamic. What do you think that means for refiners from here? Do we can we continue I, to know, stay my, bullish by the dip? Well, refiners are the most boom bust area of the market that I've seen historically. It's either feast or famine. And, it, you know, but now you're in a feast period. And guys like Marathon and Valero, they, they, they have an ability to print money because, like I said before, refinery capacity, you know, is constrained. And that's what led to this run-up in prices. And you're not going to be – I mean, yes, we added a couple secondary units, but we're not in, – in this increased refining capacity will not come for some time, and it will cost billions of dollars to build. Brilliant. Brilliant. I couldn't agree more. Let's pivot a little bit uh, while we were on that international um, level with Russia, you know, ending their diesel and oil exports. Um, what are your thoughts on OPEC? How do you think their posture remains from here? Um, I think OPEC has, has seen success in their strategy, keeping barrels off the market, increased prices, increased revenue for them to have that higher price. Um, I, I don't see the Saudis going pumping full out anytime soon. Um, they, they've, they've managed this market. They, they say they want to dec- decrease the amount of volatility in market, which I think is a good idea. No one wants, you know, big spikes and huge sell-offs. You'd, you'd rather have a stable energy market. Um, and I just think that everyone talks about the transition in er- energy. And I think this energy transition is going to take a lot slower than many people expect. Um, I think there's still money to be made uh, in upstream, as you know. We were talking downstream companies, but I think Canadian EMPs like Canada CNQ, um, I think they're in a prime spot. I think that uh, oil and cash returns for them are very durable and sticky. Um, you know, the U.S. Our, our oil production is, is you know we don't have a, a consistent energy policy from one administration to the next, and that holds us back. Um, I mentioned before, we talked about getting back to record, record, record levels production. Um, but with, with solid energy policy, we would be way beyond that. And we need to be more consistent on that end. Um, I think Canadian tar sand companies, their, their production is totally undervalued. 
most of the capex there is done already. Um, you know, you, you put your keys into a truck and you and you scoop out the earth, and that's how they get their oil up there. Um, so they have large, low risk, high value reserves. I think they have a very efficient operations, and they're going to have good free cash flow and good return to shareholders with low maintenance capital to uh, to maintain and grow production up there. Very interesting way of looking at that market. Really, really good insight there, Rob. What do you think? Speaking of, of energy policy, right? Tell me the thought, your thoughts of, you know, the climate neutral movement, net zero by 2030. What's your view from your seat, you know, neck deep in fossil fuel trade on a daily basis? You know, well, what kind of buzz do you feel from that, from the industry people that you speak to? And how do you think about it? Well, I think. Um, a lot of renewable isn't the most efficient. Um, it's actually very carbon intensive. When you're creating solar panels, you need quartz, you need coal, a lot of it. And uh, it's very intermittent. It's not consistent. Um, I think an area where if you're talking policy-wise, we should be concentrating on offshore drilling because unlike shale, which has higher levels of depletion, offshore projects – you know, you're talking 30 years of sustained production. And I think offshore drillers are about to enter a golden period. So names like Valaris, uh, Transocean, Oceaneering, NOV, Tidewater. Tidewater, Nova. yeah. Yeah, those, these, these guys, I mean, over the next 18 months, you're going to see a lot of final investment decisions for places like Guyana, Brazil, West Africa, even in the Middle East. Um, and th these projects will overwhelm the existing drill ship fleet and these producers will lock up these assets for years. Um, I know ExxonMobil is ramping up exploration and drilling activities down in Guyana. They got six to eight drill ships that are now active and um, this is going to continue till 2029. Um, they're they're going to drill around 35 more exploratory wells in the next few years and I think that's where we can be concentrating you know, Gulf of Mexico is full of oil, and I think mm -hmm. Mexico itself is a mess um, production-wise, refining-wise, and if they ever got their act together and drilled it in the Gulf of Mexico, they'd be in a, in a great, great spot. Gotcha. Are they drills up right now in Mexico? Um, they, they actually, Mexico, Pemex, they had a law in their books that all the oil in their country was theirs, and no, it, it was very adverse to um, producers coming in and drill. So they, they wouldn't even own the oil, the, the oil that they drilled. So um, they've had huge problems in refineries down there. So they import a lot of diesel and a lot of gasoline from the U.S. So we export a lot of product, and a lot of it goes to uh, Mexico and Central America, Latin America. So it, 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 another spot, a bright spot for the refiners there is that, you know, you're taking in crude from Canada, you're, you're taking shale oil and you're turning the product and you're sending it right out the back door. You don't have to worry about rins. You don't have to worry about anything. So it, it's good it's, fellas it's operation right there. So again, I said, that's yeah. a good fellas operation right there. Perfect. Yeah, it really is in the, in, in the front door out the back. And, um, right. You know, I, and, and it's, it keeps our, our national uh, market tight because we're sending out so much product because we have to deal with ethanol, the blending requirements, RINs requirements, and it's a headache for refiners, so they could just ref export it and not have to deal with it.
while while we're on this, and I want to be educational, tell uh, our listeners just give us a quick blurb on what RINs are. Uh, those are renewable uh, credits. So basically, you know, you'll see at the gas pump, you know, ten percent of this gasoline is ethanol, and um, so it's a requirement that when you produce gasoline, you have to blend it with a certain amount of renewable ethanol, right? And if you can't source that, so if you're a smaller refiner, it's harder for you to source that ethanol. Ethanol can't be piped in. It's corrosive, not only to engines, but the pipelines as well. So it actually has to be trucked in and has to be blended before it hits the rack. Incredible. But you can get away with it if you buy a RIN. So when RINs first came out, they were a penny a gallon, and they've actually, they had rallied up to a, a dollar, which adds an incredible cost to the production of, of domestic gasoline. Now, you can avoid, you know, all that by exporting the gasoline where they don't have these requirements. So it actually artificially tightens New York Harbor and, and other areas in the United States, but that's a whole nother story. Got it. No, that's very interesting. Um, thank you for clearing that up. Tell me, while we're on inconsistent energy policy, what do you think about the SPR? Is that going to be a headline again? We saw them use that to you know, keep the price down before the last set of midterms. They don't seem to be selling anymore. Tell me your thoughts on the SPR, Rob. They're, they're actually adding it to it now. Small, small amounts, a couple hundred thousand um, barrels. Um, it was used as a political tool, and it, it worked. It did work. Sure did. Um, um, there was a cost to maintaining that SPR that people don't really talk about. I mean, they have these caverns where they, they store a lot of this stuff, and it, it wasn't entirely stable, and they would have to pour money in. And they were emptying some, some part of it to help pay for you know, highways and whatnot. Um, then they turned it into a political weapon, and they emptied it. Now, going back to the lightning of the crude slate, the SPR was full of sour crude. Right. And increasing domestic production is the lighter, sweet kind. Right. So we lost a lot of the, the crude when it was released and a lot of it got sold to foreign nations and exported. So it's it's now it's not there for this price run up. And it's a very dangerous situation that, once again, consistent energy policy would help. Totally, totally. What do you, you know, what's it, what's it down to in your opinion? We hear varying degrees and, and, you know, varying various disaster scenarios about if it gets emptied. What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's, there's a huge discrepancy from when, where we were in the seventies and eighties and now we have plenty of domestic production. We have Canadian production. We have plenty in, in commercial storage. So, there was a redundancy to the SPR, and I don't think we, we need to fill it all back up in the near term. I think that we're in a way better place now than we were in the 70s, and it's a totally different story. So they talk about day supply. That's a metric that it's not that great of a metric because it's changed so much from when it was originally designed, right? We're not going to lose Canadian production overnight. We're not going to lose shale. We're not going to lose... No, that's not going to happen. Interesting. Tell me what you think of, uh, you know, what, what, what indicators or th- what kind of things are you looking for going forward to, you know, drive the oil price? You know, are you technically driven, headline driven? Are you just watching this all play out? What do you think? I, I'd be interested in, on, on jet fuel demand. I mean, you know, you had a big round of flying from everyone. Does that slow down? 
you know, I know the recession's probably hit already and, and money is tight. Um, this work from home, it's kind of winding down a little bit. And I wonder if there's a big pullback in, in travel demand and how, how that affects the markets. Um, it'd be interesting. I'd probably be short airlines here, you know, with obviously with the higher jet fuel price and, you know, demand could soften there. That That's an interesting, just but overall distillate market, I think, is driving it. And you keep an eye on that. You keep an eye on, on the, the, the heating oil contract. And if that stays firm, the spread stay firm, the crack stay firm, I think crude can keep going and the run's not over. You have a target? I, I don't do targets, you know. I, you don't I, do targets. I, I understand. Don't do, I don't do targets. I just, you know, I come in every day and process, like you said, the headlines. And, you know, that has been supportive. You know, you, you've, I got to give it to energy aspects. They said the second half was going to be tight, and and it was tight. And you saw the draw, the crew drawdowns, and it, it's happening in real time. Yeah, totally. It's driving the market. It's really interesting to see oil hold up against, you know, an exploding dollar, de-risking in the markets. You know what I mean? I feel like it might be through that 93 resistance level that I've had for a while um, yeah, already. Yeah, oil is its own monster these days, you know. Um, I think the, the dollar rally is hurting bonds more than it's hurting energy. Um, and you're seeing an incredible move in the bond market, which... It's pretty scary, you know. It's, it's, yeah. it's you know, I would even say that the S and P and oil is holding up relatively well, con- considering the the stress in in, in the bond market. Oh, I know, I know. You you definitely just coined the um, catchphrase that we're going to use to advertise this uh, podcast, Rob. When you said oil is its own monster. Um, we may have to make up some TG macro t-shirts with that kind of thing on it, but it does seem that way. Now we are seeing some spec positions, you know, add in the, and in, get into crude oil, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's always what ruins a fun bullish party when oil has been rallying so stoically. Um, what's the downside risk? Like what's the risk of, of the bottom falling out of either the oil market, energy stocks, like what, what kind of headlines would, wake you up in the middle of the night and say, you know what, sell. I think energy stocks are still undervalued with this run-up in crude. I don't, I don't think they've priced in the, the environment that we're in now. I mean, out the curve, crude's not as, as strong as here, but I, I see a tight market. I see a Saudi Arabia that wants higher prices for a reason, for their own budgetary reasons, for their own market reasons, because you need high prices. High prices bring on new supply, and, and that's what the market needs. It needs more refining capacity, so you're going to see cracks go until that is you know added, which it is added. Like I said, I mentioned that June, we, we finally had an uptick, and we're, we're close to 2019 levels of refiner capacity. But, you know, demand keeps going. Demand's been there, yep. Exporting. We're going to need that capacity. We need the production capacity. We need the refining capacity. And the, the thing that drives that is higher prices or sustained higher price, price environment. Wow, that is unbelievable. I just asked you for the bear case, and you just illustrated an unbelievable bull case right there. <laughs> no, I'm saying what, say what, bull, what, I would say. you know, what the risk was. I'm saying, yeah. no, and you said what this is, you laid it out. This is what the market looks like. You know, I really, I, I appreciate that. So if you, if we're that bullish on it, you think you like, um, Offshore drillers yes. are a sweet spot in the market, and refiners. Did you say we stay with those, yeah, or do you I think say, that they're think uh, just going to be subject? Like I said, I think this is their time to shine. 
they're the biggest boom bust. They're not a yeah. long term position. They're a trade, if you will. And I think we're in the middle innings of a rally there. Um, you and I have discussed nuclear Brilliant. and uranium. Uh, I think that. Yeah, let's talk about it a minute. Yeah, sure. No sure. rush. What do you think one, about uranium? One company I like is uh, LEU, Centris Energy, and they enrich uranium here in the United States. Um, they're the only company with a nuclear regulatory commission license. Um, and they, they, you know, their competitor is Russia, right? Which is, is it's shaky to depend on them right now. And you, you see what's going on in Niger over in Africa. So uranium could be, it, it can get scary in the uranium market where they're not used to it. You know, the, the utilities and the, the U.S. government who are the buyers are used to a stable market. So this would be definitely caught, well, could catch people off sides. Rob, I couldn't agree more when I listened to, I've listened to a couple of industry podcasts and the word, you know, the buzz that you hear is, you know, that we don't want to reach and pay these prices right now, you know? And it's like, have you guys gotten short, caught short commodities before? Because at some you point. trading desk and then you, yeah. you get me the, you know what, out. Yeah. And then there's five guys behind that guy saying, get me the F out. And you're like, oh my God, you know, so I I believe it was 10 years ago and it was, I was trying to get out of a crude spread position. So I called the floor and they, they couldn't find me an offer. And apparently there's a a squeeze. The BP traders were were doing the squeeze on certain contract and it's, you know, it's scary. And there's a pocket factor there. There's a sense that, you know, how, how am I going to get this position closed? for expiration, which is in 30 minutes, by the way. So, yeah, totally. The pucker yeah. factor is huge. I can't, you know, I can't sleep at night when I'm short commodities at all. You know, I literally got caught short silver in over um, a three day over an Easter weekend. And, you know, somebody exercised calls during, you know, exercised over the weekend, you know, 25 cents out of the money. The thing was trading higher in options. And I literally was vomiting for three days until the market opened on Sunday night and I could get my short back. I but believe it. I, 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 I remember. Wasn't there a story of Warren Buffett doing something like that? And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there is. Reason. I don't know. Yeah. That, that's scary. When a guy like that's on the other side of your trade, you, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They do, they do stuff like that, especially when they see like a physical point, you know, weak point or a weak point in the spreads that they can exploit or something like that. So it gets really hairy. You have any other war stories that you want to share, um, Rob? The first time. Anything in, on the first night I yeah. was trading um, oil futures. It was 2003. Uh, a colleague of mine was supposed to stay with me, and I was on the night desk because George Bush was giving Saddam 40 pounds. I was going to say, I wrecked yeah, the war. <laughs> I was by myself, and then over the uh, the news, flash is seen in Baghdad, and my phone lit up because we used phones back then. It's crazy. Um, and I was just, you know, I ripped my shirt off. There was no one in the office, and got a bunch of trades done. Did one trade backwards, made like 200 grand. One of the biggest locals in IMAX. Oh. He, he tried to get me. He didn't try, but he, he he mentioned to my boss that maybe he should fire this guy. And thankfully, I didn't. But that was that. Oh. Nothing really topped that since you know. You had oh oh right. during the squeeze, negative squeeze in TI. Uh, one of my bosses actually called me up and he's like, "Hey, it's getting down to zero. We should buy two lots of crude." And I I said, you know. Hey, I've seen this story before, and it always overshoots. And I and I that would have been a couple hundred thousand dollars, even on two lots, because it didn't so oh, much. Yeah. 
And, you know, our clearinghouse would have forced us out of the trade. It would have been a disaster. So I was like, yeah, yeah. you know, it kind of looks like a fat pitch, but you know, I, I had to be just around expiration, anything can happen. And it usually does, if, if that sounds right. Well, well, you were the one of the guys in, you know, that I was in close touch with for that entire lockdown move. And that was, uh, that was something special. And it was good to have your insight along the way that, that, you know, allowed me to put the risk on that we put on on the navigator and have it all work out well, knock on wood. So <laughs> that turned into a really good trade. And it's not surprising um, when you have someone as knowledgeable as Rob in your back pocket who has seen everything from, you know, the Iraqi war explosion to the lockdown implosion. So you've essentially seen the lifetime range in oil in your career and uh, marked it at the highs at the start of it and have seen the lows already. And uh, it sounds like you guys have a bright future there at LPS Capital. You know, we covered a lot of ground today. We talked about the opportunity in offshore drillers. We went over the refiner situation. Um, we talked about our inconsistent energy policy, what kind of effect it has on the market, what's going on with uranium briefly. You know, we created our oil is its own monster headline that I'm going to run with. Um, if there's anything else, if you want to tell anybody where they can reach out to you, if that's possible, if not, I understand. If not, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. And I'd love to have you on again in the future, Rob. That was fantastic. Thank you very much, Tony. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm on Bloomberg you, for anyone who wants to look, but yeah, it's very really good. Very good. That's you know, you're a good friend and um, I'm glad I could come on and, 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 and help out with the podcast. Oh, this was a great, great conversation. I'm looking forward to listening to myself. So we'll sign off for this one. And until next time, Rob Meyer, thank you very much. Thank brother. you, Tony. This episode of The Oil Ground Up with Tony Greer should not be perceived as investment advice. Tony, his guests here on The Oil Ground Up, and the host company Clear Commodity Network are not responsible for any losses arising from any investment decisions based on the information presented. Please do your own research and speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.